This coming Saturday, May 21st, is Election Day. The entire country will hit the polls and, if they haven't already, vote for who they believe is best fit to exercise executive control of the Australian Government. On the podcast today, we have a roundtable discussion about what the issues are that are facing voters, looking through a prism of emphasis on the public sector. Our guests are PSA President Nicole Jess, PSA General Secretary Stuart Little, Campaigns and Communications Manager Marianne Ledich, Senior Communications Officer Jason Mountney, and Communications Production Assistant Aaron Hewitt. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. We've got a roundtable discussion about issues that are affecting voters uh, and our members who will be hitting the polling booths this coming Saturday uh, at the federal election. I want to thank the team that have come together before us to discuss these issues. And topic number one, which I think is a main concern of a lot of the voters out there and a lot of our members who are hitting the polling booths, is the cost of living, a lot of issues that are affecting voters. How does everybody here feel about the cost of living affecting our members this Saturday. Going around to all the locations that I get to, especially in um, corrective services, majority of people are saying that they just can't afford to keep going the way they're going. Electricity's going up, food, meat, all those expenses that they have, you know, and they're saying that they are going to have to take kids out of all of their educational, um, you know, outside requirements that they're doing, tutoring, um, everything that they're saying that they have for their expenses for their children, they're going to have to pull back. And, And they're saying if they keep going, then there's going to be other things that they're going to have to do, um, even childcare. They can't afford childcare. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and look, I'd echo what what Nicole said. I mean, I've conducted meetings now in in most regional locations, and obviously we've had many um, meetings in you know in in Sydney Metro, um, you know Wollongong Metro, Newcastle Metro, um, and then re- regions like Wagga, Dubbo, Bathurst. Now, it's no doubt that the cost of living is a huge issue on. Um, you know, which concerns all of our members because and it doesn't matter whether you're in those regions where you've got cheaper housing. Um, the fact is is that you know home affordability is a massive issue, particularly for people in Sydney, but the cost of living just keeps outstripping um, people's wages. and we haven't seen wages growth now um, for a decade, um, albeit we've had you know a cap in New South Wales of two and a half percent. Um, but really it's meant that wages have barely kept pace with inflation. You haven't seen growth, and yet things like housing have gone through the roof. And now we're seeing, you know, that, that petrol, um, you know, insurance, just these day-to-day goods, food, um, you know, fruit and vegetables, everything has gone through the roof, and yet our wages um, are stagnant. So it's a huge issue whether you're in the city or in the bush, and obviously, I think that it's going to be a massive issue come Saturday. Marianne, uh, from a comms perspective, what feedback have you heard from our members? I mean, you're instrumental in organising a lot of regional tours around the state, getting feedback from members, particularly around the campaign around the wage cap, which was a co- coalition policy at a state level. From Does that echo federally and are we getting any feedback at any of these meetings? Oh, I think it, I think it echoes. That's quite clear. Uh Regardless if you work in the federal jurisdiction or the state, cost of living is cost of living. I mean, just last week they said, oh, you know, petrol's going down. Yesterday I saw it at two, I think two dollars and eleven. Right. Yeah. Um, it was at two twenty. I saw two eleven. I was lucky enough to fill up. I, I had just over half a tank. I thought I saw one dollar seventy two, and I went, I'm just filling up. Mm. You know, um, it's easy for people that have a okay income, but it's those people. And they know, especially in the bush, they know people that have lost jobs during the pandemic, um, that 
it hasn't recovered. And don't forget, these people had bushfires as well. Um, even when you go to the petrol station and, you know, when you, you, know, you get your petrol, you might just get a drink and maybe something else. It's, it's up. Mm-hmm. It, it's huge. And, like, it's noticeable. So we notice it here in um, Sydney. But when I was out in Wagga in particular and I stopped to get petrol mm-hmm. on the way out – It was incredible the pricing that you saw and that has to affect them because it's great if there's a public servant that has a job, especially in the bush, Mm -hmm. but it's their partners. They're struggling, you know, and let's not forget that's this quarter 5.1. What happens when next quarter? Because they were trying to make out that it's going to go back. Yeah. Um, The petrol's gone back up again. So, um, and all of us at this table buy food. Um, That's gone up too. So I think it, I think it, Members are feeling it. Jason, prior to us going uh, hitting record today, uh, it was just announced federally that there would be an efficiency dividend introduced at a federal level uh, in order to, for, for, they believe, to save $2 billion uh, uh, to pay for some of their election funding costs. Uh, this is the coalition. This is a coalition policy federally. What implications does a cut to the public service like that do to the public service? Well, I think beyond the public service, it's going to suck money out of the economy. Um, yeah, my partner has a small business and it all depends on the confidence. And we've got Mike Marianne going through these country towns, a country town where, you know, five public service jobs might be the difference between a, a local business surviving. Right, right. And we saw that with when Howard cut the thing is, Cameron was decimated when Howard cut the uh, thing. They had property prices plunged. Yeah, the, the city was in a deep recession. Yeah. Well, I mean, that really plays into what I wanted to bring up next, which was, you know, property prices. Uh, Stuart uh, alluded to it earlier. Obviously, it's a major issue, uh, the ability to buy a house in New South Wales where we're recording um, today. It's only getting worse. Both sides of politics are trying to tackle the issue with different policies. On the weekend, the coalition policy was announced to borrow superannuation or essentially uh, allow uh, taxpayers to access your superannuation in order to put down a deposit for a home. I just want to gauge some of our uh, members – sorry, I just wanted to gauge some of the panel here today to talk about whether they believe that is a good – policy going forward or it's detrimental to your future and I particularly wanted to see what your thoughts were Aaron uh, being a young person possibly in the market you know for a home definitely in the near in the near future what is your take on this policy uh the super annuation policy I think is just crazy um and why <coughs> so well especially as a I'm only 24 I've only got you know don't have a ton of super right. saved yet because I've only been working for five six years um, I think it's if I were to do forty percent, I would probably not even getting close to one percent of a deposit for the medium house price in Sydney. So it's just seems silly. And then on top of that, you've got Scott Morrison promising if you're over the age of fifty five, you can sell your house, put three hundred thousand in to your super to downsize. But the problem is there if they're downsizing to apartments, people my age who can only afford apartments are just going to get you know priced kicked out. priced out of the of the market. So it seems a bit uh, counterintuitive. I think that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Um, and you know, uh, it definitely kind of just benefits wealthier Australians, which is everyone deserves a house, which is fine, of course. But there's still people struggling. Can I ask you, as a young person, um, you know, starting off your career, 
how important does superannuation play a factor into you? Or is it something you never really think about? Um, no, I, I it's big for me. Um, I contribute more than at the most I can, right? Um, just because you know it's one of those things you want to see build quicker, if yeah. anything. Um, so when so you can retire earlier and you know. <clears throat> Live in retirement peacefully and absolutely you know, don't have to worry about so many things, you know. Can I get your uh, opinion on the superannuation policy from the coalition, Stuart? Um, uh, because obviously it's in our members' interests to be comfortable in retirement. You know? Well, it just seems to me that, that it's a policy that, that they've brought out in desperation, given the fact that you know the government are behind in the polls. So, what a couple of days out, they're throwing out what is a major announcement. But then when you drill down to it and you look at things like we're wrestling with and with our current wage claim, you know, women often earn, have half the superannuation that men have. Right. Um, now, you know, how's this going to sort of play out? And look, unfortunately, you also know that a lot of couples, um, you know, when they when they go and purchase a home, they, they may well be madly in love, but, but it doesn't always end that way. Now, what happens then when, you know, things don't work out and they have to sell the home? Does one person get to keep the home? What happens to the equity there? Um, You know, there's a lot of unknowns with the policy, and I I really worry that, like we saw in the middle of the pandemic, you know, the coalition were all too keen for people to, you know, open up and spend their super, and I think it's because the Liberals just don't agree with superannuation uh, as, as a starting point. We need to see super get up, you know, well above the 12%, up into the 15, 16, 17% so that people can adequately cater for their retirement. Everyone knows that you've got an ageing population, people are living longer, the governments can't afford um, to pay for really, uh, you know, uh, elaborate pensions, unfortunately, in countries like Australia because, you know, they never budget for it. And it means that more and more in the future, people will have to try and save for their own retirements if they want a, a lifestyle like they've had during their working life. Sure. Um, I just wanted to add that I just I think this government is not looking for solutions that they actually bring in. It's they're hitting they're hitting the people that are already doing it hard again. Um, and Aaron Aaron is probably one person who is taking positive steps about his superannuation. Most young people out there have no idea about superannuation, how much they need for their future. That it is not it's not on their it's not on their Richter scale of being concerned about. At the age of coming out of school they're not thinking about a job, superannuation and a home. Until they get into a serious relationship. I'll give you an example. My mother and father have helped my three nephews and one niece in getting homes. And if they were to then downsize they wouldn't actually have the collateral in their homes to actually help them get a to buy their first homes. Mm. Um, and so it's it's not a system that is going to assist people in getting their first homes. As Aaron said, you know, older people do not want to go into apartments. They want to downsize, but that's not even – there's not even homes out there for affordability for them even. Mm. Then they've got all their health care that they've got to be concerned about as a pensioner. You know, we're, we're in trouble, and I don't think our current government – is um, doing any steps to to get us out of the situation that we're currently in. Over the past three years since the last federal election, public servants have really been hit hardest in terms of what they've faced. It started with the bushfire crisis, it continued with the pandemic, and then it precipitated with the flood crisis, which we've just recently experienced. It's always public servants who have to deal with the fallout of these situations, uh, the emergencies that they present, and then the clean-up afterwards. It all comes down to an environment policy. Do we feel that the, that the coalition deserves another three years of managing 
the environment. I don't think there is um, anyone who can seriously say that the coalition, can, you know, the, the Liberal National Party has been good for the environment. I don't think anyone could say with any credibility. You'll get certain business people say, oh, you know, it's all about the economy. Um, but as we've seen, and as someone who travelled to Lismore in the aftermath of that flood, um, it was heartbreaking to see a, a community, thousands of people whose lives um, are just going to be basically put on hold now while they work out what to do with that town. There's mm. no doubt that the environment um, has changed I mean, that's, and, and that, it continues to change. That's mirrored in the bushfire crisis where there's the, still a homelessness yeah, the, situation. The, the bushfire that we saw in, in you know the black summer fires of 2019-20, uh, everyone saw it coming. And yet, you know, despite us repeatedly going to the government and talking to them about their their efficiency dividend at the state government, an efficiency dividend, it's not an efficiency dividend, it's a budget cut. And we should use the right language. It's not efficiency. They're cutting the budget. They work out the budget they need to run. doesn't matter whether it's, um, you know, the prison system, the, you know, national parks and wildlife, um, the courts. They turn around and then say, and now we're going to cut that budget. Um, by, you know, any figure, like the state government had it at 3% a year. It can't compound them. When they do a budget, they do it over a four-year period, which is what they call the forward estimates. It means over the life of that, that, that budget, the four-year period, compounding cuts of up to 12 13% on agencies. When, you know, agencies like National Parks tried to respond to the bushfires, their firefighting capacity had gone from 1,500 officers full-time to 800 because of the efficiency dividend. And, you know, it's not an efficiency dividend. They put communities at risk by cutting frontline first responder jobs. When we responded to the floods, the SES had gone from 400 um, frontline staff to 300. Now, they're probably back up to about, you know, 320 because of the efficiency dividend. Again, it's not an efficiency dividend. It's a budget cut. They cut jobs from frontline first responder agencies. Agencies like, like the prison system have seen this firsthand. You know, and then they call it, oh, we're gonna we're gonna benchmark. Well that that's just code for we're gonna cut your budget. We're gonna cut your budget and then, you know, we're gonna try and work out how it runs. It doesn't work. We've seen the reliance um, that the community placed on the public sector during a crisis. You need a, a rethink, certainly at the federal government, state government on you know, adequately um, funding um, governments. And obviously, in dealing with the environment and the changes, you know, we're going to have to take that seriously. We've just seen it. You know, on top of the pandemic, you've had the worst bushfires and the worst floods. All this has happened within three years. So, you know, um, the drums are beaten, aren't they? And we need to respond to it. Especially what Stuart's just spoke speaking about but if we talk on a federal perspective because of Frydenberg's um efficiency dividend announcement yeah budget cuts as Stuart called that's it, right um I think there's a disconnect between people understanding what budget cuts means in the public service and what that means to the services that are um actually given to the community so if I just take for example um, I was at a candidates forum the other day and one of the biggest things that was being spoken about was aged care and I made a comment before you even get to aged care there's all these things that are really hard to access for people that are in that aged demographic and if we reduce the public services in the federal system we're reducing I'll just bring up one agency is Centrelink what people have to understand is 
you take away people from doing the job. You know, we all complain, oh, my goodness, I, I waited two hours on the phone. Yeah. Well, guess what? It's going to be three. And you can't blame the staff working there. They're doing the best with what they've got. And I think there's a real disconnect that people don't understand. Cutting public services means cutting the services that you require. Yeah. We live public service because that's our membership. Yeah. Um, we know how hard it's been. If we look on a state perspective, just talk to someone in Service New South Wales. I mean, they were the champions during the pandemic. And I find it ironic that no one's talking about the pandemic during this campaign. Mm. But if it wasn't for public servants and the public sector, it wouldn't have gone as well as it did. And I think that there's a real disconnect with the community understanding what that means. Yeah. But look at the floods, and Stuart can probably talk to it, maybe Nicole as well, what Stuart saw up in the um, – I think you guys did a podcast early on. Mm. What happened in Lismore in particular, the devastation – you need public service. You, you need – I mean, homelessness is at a ridiculous – level at the moment and no one's talking about it this is on the government you know this is their thing federal and state but then they go back and forth who they're going to blame you were there too jim Mm. um i think you need to talk about it because i think people have to understand the impact that that are still happening now let's put that into perspective well, what I would take away from it is that it's not a tick and flick job these are in these are long-term cleanup and getting a town that large back to its former state requires uh, time, patience, money, understanding, investment. You can't just tick and flick it, hope the job's done, and then give them an efficiency dividend down the road so you can save a couple of bucks at a later stage. That's my takeaway from it. And if you look at how these crises unfold, I mean, you've got the environment which gets ignored. I mean, there was arguments that the river needs to be um, dredged because it's not um, deep enough because of siltation from upstream. Right. You've got the issue of a highway that's been built that creates a virtual dam, um, and again, that that may promote flooding. Now, again, I, I don't know. I'm no, no expert, but certainly that's what the local people told us. You see the emergency unfold where we don't have adequate response through um, agencies like SES, they had to re- rely on the RFS, the fire service in the flood, to get first response volunteers up there, again, because of cuts to their budget by way of the efficiency dividend. You know, you then get um, a massive cry to get police on the ground because there were real problems in, in how it unfolded. Obviously, you know, you had to get people out of harm's way. A lot of that was done through community support, people in their boats and their dinghies getting out and pulling people off roofs. I mean, the stories that we saw were incredible. Members whose, whose, you know, loved ones, kids were caught in the roof inside the ceiling, having, you know, couldn't kick their way out, had to swim down, you know, basic through floodwaters inside the house, find their way out and, and were rescued. Um, leaving dogs, members who had their horses stuck up trees that, that had drowned um, in just terrible kilometres away. Yeah. You know, it's just horrific. You know, they then had to drag their animals back to it was, their property, dig yeah. a hole, bury them because they couldn't burn them. I remember it was like a collection of stories, wasn't it? It, when it we was just there, story like after, after story. Yeah. But then in the aftermath of that, um, what you're seeing now, it's not just rebuilding. It, it is you need a, a reconstruction commission, which is I, I think that what they're going to have to do because they have to ask the question: Are we going to rebuild on that zone? Um, because the the environment's changing, and so you know they're going to have to ha- take a long hard look at it. Mm. You can't get insurance 
if you can get insurance, it's just so unaffordable to make, from a business point of view, unviable. So, you know, there are major problems with this that we've seen. It worries me that we may revisit things. It's hard to say in the middle of this never-ending rain. But when this stops, you know, we'll have drought again. Of course, we'll have drought. And then, you know, I, I really worry then what will happen then, you know, you have drought following a period of high rain, you get dense vegetation, and you end up with, again, a situation where you can have massive fires, which we saw back in the, in the 90s and then, you know, at the start of um, the 2000s as well. Huge fires which spread across areas the size of European countries. Yes. So there are massive questions that we need to tackle on environment. And, look, you, you can't see someone that walks in like Morrison into the parliament with a lump of coal and jokes about it, being serious about the environment. You just can't see it. Which leads me to the final point that I wanted to bring up, which was integrity. It seems to be a, a major issue this this uh, particular election because it was a campaign promise at the last federal election and nothing was done. There was no bills introduced and the, state and the coalition government sat on their hands for three years and now it's all of a sudden front and centre. Um, Nicole, we have a New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption. A lot of our members work there. Uh, it's very, it's a very integral part of our state government system. What do you think would be the issue with a with the introduction of a federal uh, body? Well, I think the issue for them is that they'll get found out. Right, <laughs> that's the issue. I mean, anyone that anyone that's got any integrity would have no problem being implementing it. Right. Um, so I think that's their main issue. Um, that they'll get caught out with what they with what they're not actually honest about. It doesn't seem so. to have a detrimental effect at a state level. Does it? Do we agree? Well, no. I think I think taxpayers just want uh, they want to. They're sick of hearing stories about um, politicians abusing their power. Right. Um, and they want. I, I believe most people would want a body that can make sure that they're doing the right thing, um, and that goes for both sides. It goes for everyone. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. just it's not just for one side, um, you know. And let's face it: if the, if they've got all our money and everything else, we want to make sure that they're using it properly and they're doing the right thing and they're not meeting with people that they shouldn't and they're not getting you know bags delivered to homes or yeah. anything else like that. We want to make sure that they're they're doing the right thing. The, the big issue with federal ICAC is that you've got you know Morrison saying he doesn't want to become the next Gladys. And get caught out, right? That, that's right. what it is. He's saying, "Oh, it was terrible what happened to Gladys." Well, what happened to Gladys wasn't terrible. What happened to Gladys was was brought about through Gladys not reporting that she was in a relationship, you know, with with Daryl, um, you know, Maguire. That's that's what happened there. She brought that onto herself. Um, don't blame ICAC for doing their job and following legislation that's been brought in by the Parliament. Mm. We have had to go out and and justify, you know, the existence of ICAC. Um, and and really to argue that they needed an independent funding model because every time, you know, ICAC bring down a couple of politicians, they cut their budget. Now, you know, I'll, I'll give Perrottet one bit of credit. He has come in with some enhanced funding. It's still not good enough, still not independent. But the reason that the feds don't want to have it, and I think it's cost the people, the taxpayers of New South Wales money, in organised crime. And you're seeing this more and more now with it playing out with these big drug wars, a lot of crime gangs. Well, people are saying, well, why aren't we looking at the federal institutions that, that protect our borders? You know, why aren't we, in, you know, um, interrogating just, you know, uh, is if there's any corruption at that level? Why? Because of Scott Morrison. 
you know, bring in a federal integrity body. Everyone agrees it's a good idea. It's not just about the politicians. It's about making sure that those institutions that are there to safeguard our borders, to stop the drugs coming in, that support these organised criminals, that are there to protect the community. Yeah. Jason? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a part of the New South Wales government more popular with voters than ICAC. Right. I think. And my, my early years were spent in Queensland under Bjorke Peterson and, and, you know, when governments don't have checks... Yeah, they run yeah. right. I mean, they had three cabinet ministers go to jail. The commissioner for police went to jail. Yeah. It took for years to unravel the mess. Um, Aaron, I just wanted to end on you. Amongst all of us, you're new to the voting system despite that you've been eligible to vote for over, uh, you know, just shy of a decade. Um, how does integrity in politics play out in your generation, do you think? I mean, do people care about politics? And In a better – framed differently – would the introduction of an integrity commission maybe uh, enhance the view of politicians amongst you and your mates? Um, yeah. I mean, I think a federal ICAC would definitely bring a bit more trust to politics now. And I think a lot more people, especially my age, are way more involved in politics over the, from, you know, since the last two years, since beginning of 2020 because of COVID and, you know, climate change. Those probably are two big topics. And some people start to look at it and just go, oh, like, what is this? Like, mm. this is just a mess. I'm not going to bother. Right. And there's so many people who, who think like that. They, they look at it, you know, you look at Scott Morrison, they just think, if he got in, anyone can get in. Right. They're all the same kind of mentality. So I think bringing in a federal ICAC would definitely bring in a lot more um, – trust i guess to to the political system at a federal level especially for young people protect yourself at work call the psa today on 1300 772 679 or head to psa.asn.au